Well, I'm not sure if you're much of a cricket fan, uh, but you might have heard that last week there was a test match in Sydney between Australia and India. It was quite an historic match. It was the 100th test match at the Sydney Cricket Ground. And it was a match where almost everyone was expecting Sachin Tendulkar, the Indian batsman, to make his 100th international 100. You see, everything seemed to be pointing to the fact that he was going to do it in Sydney. Some people were so confident that one of the papers said this, There are moments like this in sport wherever you look, where sometimes it just all comes together. There are moments like this in sport wherever you look, where sometimes it just all comes together. Well, friends, this morning, the bit of the Bible that we're looking at here in Luke 3, it's a bit like that. You see, here at the start of Luke 3, it just all comes together. This is the moment where God's plans of salvation, plans that have been building and building and building all through the Old Testament, This is the point where they really start to swing into action. This is where it just all comes together. You see, in this account of John in the desert, Luke's preparing us for the fulfillment of God's plans. He's preparing us for the fact that God is coming to save. And more specifically, he's preparing us for the fact that God is coming to save through the judgment of his Messiah. Now Luke helps us to see that by giving us this account of the man John in the desert and he also tells us about John's startling, new, uh, sorry, John's startling message. And he finishes by giving us some news of the Messiah. So let's start this morning by having a look together at this account of the man John in the wilderness. We'll start from Luke chapter 3 and verse 1. And as we read, see if you can notice the very first thing we're told about John. It takes quite a while to get there, but it's significant. So Luke 3 and verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip was tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Well, did you notice it? It took a while to get there, but the very first thing we're told about John is that the word of God came to him. Isn't that interesting? And of course, those words ought to give us flashbacks to the first two chapters of Luke. You see, we left John at the end of chapter 1, didn't we, in verse 80. There he was still a boy. Maturing, growing in strength in the desert, waiting for his public appearance to Israel. And now, here at the start of chapter 3, well, he's still out in the desert, but now he's on the threshold, he's on the cusp of his ministry. And Luke specifically tells us he's the son of Zechariah. You see, that's a reminder to us of the awe-inspiring and miraculous intervention of God. An intervention that back in chapter 1 led to the birth of a son for Zechariah and Elizabeth even after they were too old to have kids. And of course, the mention of Zechariah again, well, that reminds us of the words that the angel Gabriel said to him. Remember the words of Gabriel? Your son will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. He will go on before the Lord to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You see, in all this, uh, Luke wants us to recognize John here. 
He wants us to recognise that John, the man in the desert here, he was the one who was foretold. John is the divine gift. John is a prophet of the Most High. And of course, that really long introduction that we just read, it just reeks of Old Testament prophetic books, doesn't it? Have a look sometime at the start of Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Compare it to the start of Luke 3 here. If you just change some of the names around a bit, all that talk of kings and rulers and high priesthoods, and especially that phrase, the word of God came, Luke 3 is almost word for word the same as the start of some of of those prophetic books in the Old Testament. You see, what what Luke wants us to recognise here is that the man, John, in the wilderness, he's a prophet. He's a prophet of God. And one of the important things that that means is that he's not the main man. He's a prophet of God, but he's not the star here. You see, the prophets, all of them, their function was to point people to God, to remind people of God's promises. The function of the prophets was to, remind, to point people back to God's purposes. And that's exactly what John's doing here. Let's keep reading and keep an eye out for God's purpose here. We'll pick it up from halfway through verse 2. Verse 2. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. The word of God went to John, and John went out preaching, reminding the people of God's purposes. And specifically here, we're told, he went out reminding the people of God's promise to come and save Now, on the one hand, I reckon it's easy for us, isn't it, to just take that as a promise uh, straight for us. But is that right? I mean, they're certainly words of comfort, aren't they? God's coming to save. But are they words directed to us? Well, at one point, kind of, yeah, because all mankind will see God's salvation. But we've got to be careful how we apply that promise to us. You see, this quote that Luke gives here, it has a specific context. It's a quote from a very specific stage in the redemption of God's people. It's a quote from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah. And so really, it's a promise directed to Israel, to Jews, not to Gentiles like us. You see, what Luke's doing by quoting this section from Isaiah 40 He's reminding the people of a stunning uh, promise of comfort from God to his people. Listen as I read the first few verses from Isaiah 40. Feel the comfort of these words. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. All mankind will see God's salvation. Friends, here in Luke 3, this just all comes together. 
as Israel is reminded of God's amazing promise to come and save. And the relief among the people is palpable as they go out to John in the wilderness and immerse themselves in the comfort of these words. But of course, that just makes John's message all the more startling. Let's continue reading from verse 7. Verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Just over a year ago, my family and I, uh, we were travelling from my brother's place in Brisbane back to our home at the time in the Blue Mountains. And naturally, we got the GPS out before we left to try and find the best route home. Anyway, it was a little bit surprising when it told us to take the New England Highway instead of the Pacific Highway, which I thought would be the best route. But anyway, I didn't argue because the most exciting thing about the, the instructions, the most comforting thing, was that it, reckon, it estimated that the trip would be two hours shorter than I'd anticipated. So anyway, we started eagerly off on the recommended route. But it didn't take long before I got a startling message. You see, we hadn't been going for long when we passed a big flashing sign on the side of the road saying the highway was closed. Pretty soon we passed a second and then a third of these signs and eventually I got the hint that what I thought was going to be a comfort was about to get really painful. You see, that's what's going on with John's message here. The crowds are coming out to John. They're rushing out to John expecting to be comforted thinking the time of God's salvation has finally come. And what does he say to them? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Can you imagine their shock? I was startled when I thought that what was going to make our trip two hours shorter actually made it three hours longer. But that's nothing compared to this. The people, Israel, they're coming out expecting comfort thinking the time of consolation spoken about in Isaiah is here, thinking God has come to save his people. But instead he tells them to prepare themselves for judgment. Isn't that a startling message? But you know, at the same time, we should have been ready for it. Luke's been preparing us for it. Do you remember Simeon back in chapter 2? He was the guy who was hanging out in the temple when the baby Jesus was presented there. Luke tells us about Simeon in verse 25 of chapter 2. He says, Simeon was righteous and devout. And get this, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for Israel to be comforted. He was waiting for the fulfillment of Isaiah 40. But you know what he says about Jesus first, do you remember? It's in chapter 2, verse 34. He says, Before the comfort, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. You see, Simeon and Luke, they're preparing us for the fact that God's salvation is going to come. It's going to come. But God's salvation is going to come through judgment. And this judgment is going to divide. It's going to cause the falling and rising of many. It's going to cause a crisis in Israel. 
Because when this judgment comes, it won't even be enough to be descended from Abraham. Verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, John says. And don't even begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Friends, the people went out expecting comfort. But John's startling message to them is that they ought to prepare themselves for judgment. Why? Well, it seems as though they weren't producing good fruit. And what's the good fruit they're not producing? Well, to help us answer that, let's have a look at the response to John's message. You see, all the people respond pretty much the same way. What do we do, they, they, they ask. What, tell us, what should we do? I wonder if you noticed the same question, pretty much word for word, is asked by, first by the crowds, then by the tax collectors, and finally by soldiers as well. What's Luke getting at here? Well, what he's saying is that the things he's about to tell them to do, these things, they should be as natural for the true people of God, as natural as it is that, as natural as it is that their good tree will produce good fruit. You see, the true people of God are those who naturally share the things God has blessed them with. The true people of God invite people into their homes. They're hospitable. They give others lifts around town willingly. They cook meals for people in need. They give generously out of their abundance to the church, to missionaries, to the poor and needy. God's people don't add house to house and field to field, storing up wealth for themselves, getting a big bank account while others go without. They don't eat and drink to excess without a thought for those who barely have enough to live on. The true people of God are not deceptive. They don't cheat on their taxes. They don't push the speed limit as far as they can go. They don't steal time at work, taking an extra few minutes for lunch or knocking off a bit early but claiming a full day. The true people of God go out of their comfort zone. They make themselves uncomfortable to talk to that person who's just difficult to be around. They go out of their way to make that uncomfortable person feel comfortable. Friends, this is no surprise. These are the same things that God has been telling his people to do all through the Old Testament. I hope you can see it's just all coming together here in Luke 3. Just like in Isaiah and just like over and over again in the Old Testament. Here in Luke we see God's people just pushing and pushing and pushing into the absolute limit, refusing to produce good fruit. But you know, the only difference here in Luke is that the point, the moment where Israel has pushed God too far has come. It's crunch time. Now is the time for judgment. And so it's no surprise, no accident that at this point Luke gives us some news of the Messiah. Let's pick it up from verse 15. Luke chapter 3 and verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ, the Messiah. The crowd's first response is to ask John, tell us, what do we do? But they pretty quickly move on, don't they? And they start to wonder, 
Could John, could this guy possibly be the Messiah, the Christ? And of course that makes sense. Facing the prospect of judgment and the wrath of God, it makes sense for them to look forward to the arrival of the Messiah, the son of David, their king who would free Israel from her enemies, who would restore their kingdom, who would end forever the cycle of sin and disobedience. It makes absolute sense for them to look forward to the arrival of their king who would bring in endless blessing. But what does John say? Verse 16. No, no, no. I baptise you with water. But one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John, the man in the desert, he's not the Messiah. But hear his words. The Messiah is coming after me and he's coming to judge. His winnowing fork is in his hand to, th- to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat but to burn up the chaff. Friends, this passage is just full of judgment, isn't it? It's full of woe and crisis and division. It's full of axes and winnowing forks and fire. And so, you know, Luke's summary at the end, it just seems so out of place. Check it out in verse 18. With many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the what? Preached the good news to them. Good news? Has Luke been paying attention to what he'd been writing? Is he kidding? Axes, fire, good news, judgment. The Messiah is coming to judge. Those not producing good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The chaff will be burned up with unquenchable fire. Not even Israel. The children of Abraham will be safe. Judgment is coming and there's no escape. Good news. But of course, it depends on your perspective, doesn't it? My family and I, we went to that test match in Sydney the other week. That match when it just seemed as though it was all coming together. When it seemed as though the Indian batsman Sachin Tendulkar was destined to make a hundred. Let me tell you, when he got out, the response to that news well, it really depended on your perspective. You see, there were about 20,000 Indian supporters there and they were devastated when he got out. It was bad news for them. About half of them left and it was only halfway through the day's play. But me and my family, we were cheering. As Australians, it was good news for us. It all depends on your perspective. Here in Luke, it's just all coming together. Luke is just ramping up this stuff that's been going on in the Old Testament. You see, all through the Old Testament, God's plan has been to save his people through judgment. And in one sense here in Luke 3, it's just all playing out according to plan. It's just all coming together. But I wonder if you can see already what the twist is. We got a hint of it back in verse 6. All mankind will see God's salvation. You see, Jesus, the one who comes with axe in hand, with winnowing fork at the ready, Jesus who comes to judge, 
He's the one who himself gets the axe on behalf of his people. He's the one who faces judgment so that God's salvation can come to those who trust him. And the good news, the great news is that now God's salvation will come even to Gentiles through the judgment of the Messiah. So friends, the question is, what's your perspective? Now would be a good time to be honest with yourself. Take a good, hard, long look at yourself. Is this good news? Or is it bad news? Perhaps you've been coming to DPC for a while, but you've never really taken Jesus seriously. Perhaps you know all the right things to do and to say. Maybe you've even fooled the rest of us. But deep down, you know that it's all fake. It's a ruse. Deep down, you know that when Jesus comes back to judge, it'll be bad news for you. Perhaps now at the start of the year is a great opportunity. An opportunity to start taking Jesus seriously in a life-changing way. Because you know the time will come when a tree will be judged by its fruit. A time will come when it will be too late to change. But that time hasn't come. What sort of fruit are you producing? What's your perspective? When Jesus the Messiah comes back, will it be bad news for you? Will it mean judgment and condemnation as the fruit you've been producing is shown to be bad and rotten and useless? Or will it be good news? When Jesus comes back to judge, will you find the judge stepping into your place, taking the judgment on himself that you deserve? That truly will be good news. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, We thank you for Luke 3. Thank you for John and the message that he brought. Father, we admit that so often we find it easy to produce good fruit. We find it easy to ignore you, to ignore your Christ, your Messiah, to live as though we're our own king. Father, please forgive us. And Father, thank you for the reminder that You come to save through the judgment of your Messiah. Help us to put our trust in him, Father. Father, it truly is good news that if we trust in him, on the day when he comes to judge, the judge himself will step in our place, take our judgment, take our punishment on himself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.